Hello, and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live satirical news review of the previous month with hilarious op-ed and debate from Chicago's best comedians and writers. It's, it's awesome. You'll love it. This is a recording of The Skewer 5 on March 2nd, 2016 at Chicago's Cafe Mustache. Enjoy. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Skewer 5. My name's Tom Harrison. Doesn't matter who I am, this is who I am. Uh, I'm going to be your host tonight as we take you through the fifth edition of The Skewer, a live monthly news review that takes the news of the previous month and it makes it great to listen to through hilarious op-ed and debate. Um, every month we have a great lineup, uh, but this month we have a really, really great lineup and I'm super, super hyped to be uh, hosting these wonderful people. So let's just go ahead and get straight on into the op-ed about the month of February. Now you can come here and hear me yammer. Our first reader is uh, one of my favorite writers in the city. You might have seen him on Write Club. You may have seen him in Serving the Sentence, the Paper Machete. So many places, I can't even remember them all. Uh, you might also remember him from hosting this show every other month, because he uh, co-created it and hosted every other month. Uh, Eric Ruel. Johnny Carson, Seth Meyers, and I share a secret. You wouldn't be able to tell just by the subtle intonation of Carson or Seth's monologues and me standing on the stage reading this here, but we're related. When I reveal that part of myself, people generally seem surprised that we have that type of connection. I don't bring it up very often, but sure, I've been over to Seth's old house a few times in Evanston and carry with me certain legacies and traditions Carson also shared in, some I'm not super proud of. By now, it's probably important to clarify that we're not actually blood relatives, but bound together by the uh, same fraternity we joined in college. Again, the revelation that I was even in a fraternity in college encourages some sort of skepticism. This past Friday night, I was on Facebook, and I saw an article posted about two UC Berkeley female students that had been drugged while at a frat house. It was posted to our fraternity's private page, and the comment linking to the article by another brother read, Sorry to hear your name being dragged through the mud on this one, Berkeley bros. Now, I don't need to spin for you the stereotype of a college frat guy. You probably are well aware that Tim Allen's caveman impression would feel welcome walking down Clark Street on a Saturday night in Wrigleyville between the Cubby Bear and John Barleycorn. The thumping of chests, primal grunts, and pissing matches for attention, but this wasn't the only issue I took from February. This was just one other case of blatant sexism and immaturity in a string of what's made up an entire month of this bullshit. Let's review, shall we? The month there was a pro-rape rally supposed to be set in Rogers Park. Kesha lost her case against the producer that sexually abused her. The attacks against Hillary Clinton for being a woman over what she brought to the presidency grew and grew. And now this fucking guy on my timeline. 
I don't mean to mansplain the issues. For many of you, you've already been made aware, have spoken out about, or are able to lend a perspective on the situation that I simply can't. This is not to say that I'm not egregiously concerned. Concerned about how being a chauvinistic asshole, or as they say, a pickup artist, can be a way to become known here, and how not just in the United States, but 42 other countries around the world would participate in such a rally. Organized by Roosh V, the embodiment of quivering hate tears, who thinks <laughs> rape should be allowed so long as it happens on private property. Concerned about the implications of sexual assault and abuse having precedent in the court systems. I am concerned about how 15% of the gendered slurs on Twitter that are directed at Clinton come from Bernie Sanders supporters, for which I also find myself in that category. And Valentine's Day? That shit's for guys too, you know. I don't care if you feel a sense of responsibility for once in the relationship that getting something uh, for somebody else and having it all come out right is a tiny bit extra for your significant other. They probably appreciate it. That's a fatalistic attitude, bro. I'm sorry. This is, this is all common knowledge. Uh, it, it doesn't make it more important or correctable coming out of my mouth. Bad things are bad. Uh, we're, not, we're not laughing. No amount of cat pictures or elephants picking up trash can remove the bad taste. These incidents are largely carried out by men. As a man who directly and indirectly associates myself with perpetuators of sexism, I'm complacent in that. I have a responsibility to say something, but what? I first tried to get inside the mind of someone like Roosh V. I wanted to know where it all comes from, how it quickly became so bad. I went to his website, Return of Kings, and, and read some of the articles there. This op-ed could quickly become a delve into the megacognition spirals, the process of forging through the bile and subterfuge of that site. I advise that if you decide to visit the website, you give yourself a limit. Five articles are enough to make you want to heave. Meninists and masochists unite on one page. All of this is to say masculinity is a real problem. I will avoid an arm wrestling competition every conceivable way possible. <laughs> Women, I have a sneaking suspicion that you know this. And all of you are saints for putting up with all you do and not telling us we have below average penis sizes. Because <laughs> it's very easy and it's very effective. Um, masculinity, no matter how socially constructed or wrong the assumption is, it's all we have to really hold on to. Privilege, privilege is a real motherfucker like that. Guys, we need to stop gendering our language to avoid our insecurities. It's not a man bun. It's a bun. <laughs> it's not a man purse. It's a purse. You can be a douche and an asshole, and that's okay. <laughs> so tonight, uh, if you want to talk more about this, I would be happy to. I hope that I am in the process of becoming more woke. And if you would like to challenge me to an arm wrestling competition, I am open to it, and I will lose because my arms are boiled spaghetti noodles. <laughs> a chilling look into the heart of sexism. I just have to say, sure is a good thing. There's no sexism in live comedy, right? Am I right? I'm joking, of course, it's a wasteland that will never improve. Um, 
Next up is a stand-up comic who has performed at the Laugh Factory. I'm very proud to introduce Takara Mallard. Hot tips for moms who are afraid their nannies will steal their husbands. <laughs> Hot tips for moms who are afraid their nannies will steal their husbands. On February 17th, Slate.com published an article breaking down a February news clip from an NYC CBS affiliate news station in which the well-to-do women of Manhattan were given advice on how to protect themselves from sexually predatory nannies. <laughs> the advice included not hiring a woman that's too beautiful. <laughs> not hiring a woman that wears dangly earrings. <laughs> And, if necessary, administering a personality test before you hire anyone. Surveillance and nanny cams were also mentioned as good ideas, too, because this is America, after all, and privacy and trust are, are dead to us all. <laughs> First, I would like to say that being too beautiful or identifying as a woman is not a prerequisite for being a hoe. <laughs> Bulbasaur is a Pokemon. <laughs> and still have very hoish tendencies. Second, I stayed up all night trying to find a picture of Julie Andrews and a pair of dangly earrings, and I couldn't. So there might be a point there. After all, she played the two most famous nannies in the history of grown-ass women taking care of other people's children. <laughs> that I know that there is actual news news out there. I understand that our political foundation is weakening, children are being poisoned by tap water, and Kanye West is still designing clothes and he must be stopped. <laughs> but I couldn't help but be offended by this article or the news clip which posited that female sexuality is something that other women should be afraid of. That in this nanny, wife, husband, caregiver dynamic, there is a good girl and a bad girl, which breeds competition and conflict merely based on the belief that a woman naturally has it out for another woman. Simply by entering your house, another woman turns into a siren, leading a dopey husband into the rocky sea of infidelity, ruining everyone's life and driving your children to alcoholism before the training wheels come off. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> oh, I understand the fear. After all, being a caregiver in someone's home, the lines between professional and personal are bound to be a crazy blur. But in this list of tricks and tips, any accountability on the part of the husband was erased, other than a line that says, and I quote, men can't be trusted. <laughs> Which to that, all I can say is, article and the video severely lacking, I've taken the opportunity to provide my own hot tip for making sure your husband doesn't come between you and the person responsible for caring for your children, because sisters before misters. I'll read that list. Number one, is your husband too beautiful? 
if you find this statement to be true, you might want to consider facial disconfiguration. <laughs> no one ever uh, accused Quasimodo of sleeping with a nanny. Get yourself a nice little jar of acid, flick <laughs> of the wrist, and poof, that problem's taken care of. And, and you won't mind the lumpy face because you married him for what's on the inside, right? <laughs> what's on the inside, right? Number two, give your husband a personality test. <laughs> My go-to question is, always, if you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be? <laughs> and if the answer is Tramp from Lady and the Tramp, maybe your marriage is not going to work out. <laughs> With or without a nanny, you know? <laughs> Does your husband wear dangly earrings? <laughs> if the answer is yes, ask yourself, would you want to borrow those dangly earrings? <laughs> if the answer is no, then you married a tacky man and you need to shut it down. <laughs> and lastly, promise to remain in a monogamous relationship with you until your dying days for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, till death do you part? The answer? Not the nanny. <laughs> Remember that. And then I, I, I lied. I do have a, a bonus hot tip. Um... You're not married to Gavin Rosdale or Jude Law or sorry ass Ben, I won an Oscar and I don't want you to ever forget it, Affleck. Um, chances are you're married to a non-Hollywood type that smells like, I don't know, like chicken stock and like the powerful skin removing, you know, gain detergent scent, you know? Not all men cheat and not all nannies are man snatchers. So Slate.com also known as Violent Feces Daily. <laughs> Try again because your journalism skills suck. <laughs> However, that title of the article was clickbaity as fuck and I forwarded it to like 15 of my friends because I couldn't believe you had the nerve. Thank you. Slate. <laughs> and we all know the people. Whoa, oh my god. The article that you really need is uh, how to keep your spouse from cheating on you with a Bulbasaur. <laughs> because you know you're going to get a Bulbasaur because the first two gems are ground and water. <laughs> Both of which weep to grass. <laughs> anyway, our next performer is a performer teacher and artist. She teaches youth music and theater at the Old Town School of Folk Music. She performs vaudeville uh, as her alter ego, Plucky Rosenthal. She is a semi-finalist for the Andy Kaufman Award. I don't know what that is, but it's got Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman's great. Must be a great award. Uh, she's headlined Uptown Underground. She's a frequent cabaret act at the Paper Machete. She arm wrestles with the Chicago League of Lady Arm Wrestlers. She once appeared in Sports Illustrated in an old-timey swimsuit. 
somehow there's more, and if you want to find it, you can find it at her website. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Alisa Rosenthal! Ask for a bio, and I'm going to deliver. All right. <laughs> so, um, oh, the Oscars. <laughs> it's my Super Bowl. The Oscars were this past weekend, and for those of you who don't know what that is, you obviously aren't the people I brought to this show. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's the uh, award ceremony hosted by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to honor achievements in film, first presented in 1929, and fighting harder to maintain relevancy more and more with each passing year. <laughs> the rundown of the actual events of the ceremony weren't all that exciting. In fact, viewership numbers were way down. Nobody really had a pony in this race, so to speak. There was no Titanic to root for, no Lord of the Rings to be awed by. All of the intrigue was brought on by the casting of Chris Rock as host, because in light of the Oscar So White controversy, in which no actors of color were nominated for awards, nice move bringing in Chris Rock, people who produced the Oscars. <laughs> and boy, did Chris Rock deliver. He showed complete control and willingness to talk about anything. Does he flat out call Hollywood racist? Yup. Did he make a cops shooting black people reference? Yup. Did he make a lynching joke? Yes, yes he did. <laughs> Watching it the whole time, I was like, he's going there! He's really going, he's still going there! And uh, I always like recapping TV events like this with my mom the next day. So, quote Leslie. And those people he interviewed in that one segment, I didn't even realize till later that they were straight out of Compton. <laughs> he wasn't a flawless host. But he actually brought more relevance than I really could have hoped for. In other news, Leonardo DiCaprio finally did win his first Oscar at 41 after six nominations and delivered a speech with such internal satisfaction that I felt like empathy pains for him, like a partner who's been pregnant or how that... I don't know, I've been single a really long time. <laughs> uh... And uh, Spotlight, a film about the 2001 journalistic breaking of the Catholic priest abuse scandal, was an exciting and unexpected win for Best Picture, favoring solid storytelling and important message over the other more flashy films. And even though it was so exciting that Mad Max Fury Road took home so many awards, yeah. or, and it was up for so many, and it was up for uh, Best Picture, which is just going to be something we all, we all lived in a time when that happened. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, the big takeaway was every time one of their crew won a technical award, I just wanted to get a better view of what they were wearing. Yeah. Costume designer, designer Jenny Bevan rocking a leather jacket with the Fury Road logo bedazzled on the back <laughs> at the Oscars. And whoever all the sound engineer nerds were wearing more kinds of velvet than I knew existed. <laughs> Seriously, squad goals. <laughs> but this year's Oscars were a bizarre meeting of the modern culture in the auditorium of the old culture. An award ceremony telecast in itself is a weird, arcane relic from a bygone television era. But the pure awe of seeing all those famous movie stars in the same room together, talking and tipsily flirting with each other, still holds its same appeal as it did when I was a kid. The Oscars for me hold a nostalgic quality. There was a world where the thing I love more than anything in the world, movies, are the currency and I can fantasize about being there and giving my speech and being a part of the history. But when you zoom in on it, in the modern era, it's all these seemingly disjointed elements coming together. 
Chris Rock's classic stand-up setup, punchline structure, video interludes, and gigantic renderings of nominees' faces hovering upstage. The musical performances are staged like any other telecast, uh, but earned it by The Weeknd from Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a legitimately amazing song. Uh, features overt bondage imagery, while Till It Happens to You by Lady Gaga from the documentary Hunting Ground features real-life survivors of sexual abuse, both fairly daring stagings, but kind of tasteless juxtapositions uh, <laughs> within the same show, the more you think about it. And the whole night was made up of weird juxtapositions, like watching winners have to accept awards while others <laughs> with entirely the wrong sentiment as they go to thank their agents, cast, crew, family, teachers, God. <laughs> and as they try to, try to squeeze in something political <laughs> whether Wagner was the right choice for wrap it up music. <laughs> it's true. In this Oscars, the actual wrap it up music, instead of a subtle orchestral nudge, was Richard Wagner's 1870 opera excerpt, Ride of the Valkyries, as featured in the film Apocalypse Now. <laughs> the whole ceremony, <clears throat> excuse me, featured a slew of famous movie music. Leslie loved that. It's my mom. <laughs> but for the wrapping up music, that was your choice? I mean, there were a million other songs they could have chosen, chosen to wrap it up. <laughs> recognition, knowing they had to hurry, even though this was amidst an already bloated four-hour television extravaganza, sent to the background of perhaps the most stressful music in the classical canon, <laughs> Best Director for The Revenant, Alejandro Inuartu, just talked straight through the music, and A Girl in the River, A Price of Forgiveness director, Charmin Obey Chinoy, got cut off by this music while talking about honor killing. <laughs>
little joke about what the person said while they're saying it, but I had to play the thing. So. <laughs> okay, so our final op-ed tonight comes from a writer who has been sharing pop culture rants and personal stories at the best live lit events in the city since 2011, uh, and as you can see, she is continuing to do that, even to this day. <laughs> Uh, she has been in the Chicago theater scene since 2004. She is an artistic associate at the Neo Futurists. She is a staff writer at the award-winning WBEZ podcast, Pleasure Town. She is an editor with the short fiction podcast, Reading Out Loud. She has been published by the Chicago Literati and is a three-time Write Club champ. Goddamn. Queen Fulcher, everybody. but to wait until it isn't looking. Jump it from behind, tackle it to the ground, and pummel it in the face until I feel the gush of blood between my fingers, the satisfying wet crunch of nasal cartilage giving way beneath my knuckled fists, and then stand above its twitching, gurgling form and watch the life dance briefly in its eyes before I light that motherfucker on fire. Because Valentine's Day is also my birthday. Thank you! They all assume I'm nice. <laughs> second, second of all, they think I automatically love anything heart-shaped. Imagine getting heart-shaped versions of everything your whole life. Cakes, candles, lip balms, bath bombs, key rings, bottle corks, photo frames, glass ornaments, planters, magnets, clocks, tea bags. <laughs> You know what else is heart-shaped? Two actual hearts cut from the chests of my enemies and sewn together. <laughs> that makes a heart shape, but I'm still waiting. And third of all, worst of all, they assume I adore having a Valentine's birthday. Who wouldn't want that, right? The day of love! When I was very little, I remember a woman who leaned down to me at church and said, oh, lucky you. Everyone celebrates your birthday every year. I should have kicked that bitch in the shins! <laughs> Nobody's celebrating my birthday. They're celebrating maybe this year he'll have gotten a hint about proposing day. Or if I play this right, I'll get a blowjob day. Or the always reliable, oh shit, I forgot day. I know because I've had to watch people go through it year after year. I see y'all on the bus with cards, on the train with candy, and I definitely see y'all at fucking Walgreens at 9.30 p.m. picking over what's left of the $5 bouquets. Look, I can be faux bitter all I want about how Valentine's Day has affected me personally, but that's not the real reason this insidious holiday has got to stand down. What I really truly hate is its marketing. How it makes people, and often especially women, feel like they are failures if they're not in a relationship. This programming I see happen to friends, to people I care about, 
It tries to tell you that self-love, self-care is bad, is selfish. I have watched incredibly open and kind humans who work hard, who regularly set and crush goals, who are learned, gifted people. I have seen them wilt on this pointless day. The same as on Thanksgiving and on Christmas, depression and suicide emergency calls spike on Valentine's Day. I'm not angry that I share my birthday with Valentine's Day. I'm ashamed. This holiday does not want you to love yourself. What have we been programmed to joke about if we're a single woman on Valentine's Day? Crying through pride and prejudice with a tub of ice cream? <laughs> Why is that? Because it is supposed to be pathetic to be solo? Because if we don't have a partner, we are to be pitied? Because we know the powers that be have an abiding fear of the independent, self-sufficient single woman who loves her body, loves her mind, and knows her worth? <laughs> God forbid a woman should feel secure in her state of being. Be it cis, trans, bi, lesbian, gay, or gender fluid, and she'd be successful, and happen to be single, and be okay with it. No, society simply cannot stomach such a departure from the acceptable norm. Each year on this special day, they must pummel women with ads of coupling. Look how great it is. Look what you are surely missing out on. Look at this super successful white heteronormative commercial for engagement rings where the two shadows on the wall fall in love. <laughs> and then the guy shadow is somehow holding a real diamond ring and the shadows get engaged when the guy shadow puts the real ring on the girl shadow's finger and the ring, it's real. Your life is alive. You are not whole. You are not complete. You can't make it on your own. You're and you were born insufficient, and insufficient you shall remain until you are appropriately codependent with another insufficient person, but even then we're going to check on you. <laughs> Valentine's Day has done women a disservice for a very long time. But its most critical error has always been forgetting the power women have over their own joy. The best answer I've seen to Valentine's Day is Galentine's Day. Woo! Customarily celebrated on February 13th, invented by my favorite fictional feminist, Leslie Nope, from the hilarious, incredibly well-written, life-altering show, Parks and Recreation. Yes. Spoiler! The episode in which Galentine's Day was introduced was both written and directed by men, but it was counting! Two. It was two men. One of them wrote it, one of them directed it. <laughs> However, it made my cold, dead birthday heart swell with pride to see Galentine's Day become a real thing. This year saw more places hosting Galentine's Day hangouts than ever. Friends planning Galentine's Day brunches, lunches, dinners, and movie nights. Drinks and dancing, board games, book clubs, bar crawls, all ladies getting together to celebrate and support each other. Hell fuck yes! That's a holiday I can get behind. Oh, what's that, big ad agencies? Oh, you'd be more comfortable if we stuck with Valentine's Day. If women went back to being helpless, dependent, non-threatening silly gooses. <laughs> New York Magazine just came out with a story that single women are now the most potent political force in America, so surprise, bitch! <laughs> we don't need your Valentine's Day. We're busy making our own joy. We're also making our own startups, our own nonprofits, our own fashion lines, and our own tech companies. We're also organizing, debating, talking openly, openly with our sisters about abuse, mental illness, racism, and gender spectrum equality. Oh, and you bet your fucking ass we are also voting. You're busy trying to sell the damsel in distress story to self-rescuing queens. 
Get with it, Valentine's Day. Catch up. Women are wise to your bullshit, and believe me, we've got way better shit to do than listen to you. Thank you. When I know you were just having, we were all having fun when we were when we were laughing at that shadow bit about the shadows getting married. I just want you to know that you may not have known it, but you're playing into a very, very problematic society-wide racism against ghosts. <laughs> just just want you to know about that for the people. Anyway, so before we get into this humor debate, I just want to say you may have noticed as you're coming in uh, that you were asked for a donation. Uh, so we just ask for like five bucks as you come in. You don't have to, but just think about it. You know, maybe thinking, Tom, you, wh uh, why do you need money? What's your overhead for the show? You got a budget? No, we don't. Um, <laughs> it costs us nothing. Uh, but the money goes directly to our writers, the people who have put their talent and their time and their effort into making content for you. So if you want to like give them some money for it, as you should, go ahead. We love it. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you don't have cash on hand, that's fine, too. <laughs> anyway, on to the skewer debate. Every month there's one topic that cannot be fully explored by just one op-ed. We have to have debaters come up on stage, hash it out, and you, you the audience, decides the winner. Uh, this month, Twitter, the uh, terminally ill second cousin of the social media family, like, you know you're related, and you know you should be sad, but, like... You, You've never really met him. And like, uh, Twitter was in the news this February as two major celebrities used it as the staging ground for their public cries for help. Specifically, Jeb Bush and Kanye West. Let's bring our debaters to the stage. First, Stephanie Weber, writer for Reductress, The Whiskey Journal, Above Average, Modern Notion, many others. She's performed stand-up nationwide. She was in the first skewer. She's great. Stephanie Weber. Hey, hey Stephanie, who will you be who will you be talking about? Kanye motherfucker West, baby. <laughs> well then by explanation for Jeb Bush, we got Actor, stage, and screen, Ian Rigg. You can see his silent film, The Disappearing Act, on YouTube. Uh, you can also see him this August in O Coward at the Dead Writers Theater. Also, he is one dapper-looking motherfucker, as you'll soon discover, Ian Rigg! works is each of them is going to have three minutes to show to, uh, together to read opening statements that they have written in advance. Uh, they will then have to answer questions from me that they have not seen in advance. They're going to have to make it up and make up the answers. Hopefully are funny. Uh, and then they're going to have again three minutes of closing arguments after which you will applaud for the winner. Uh, let's just go ahead and begin with uh, you, Ian. Why not? Hello. <laughs> I imagine Mr. West has sent a spokesperson in his stead because his life is dope and he does dope shit. 
I'm Jeb Bush, and I decidedly don't do dope shit. Now, as literally the only Republican here, let's address that the elephant in the room is actually a donkey. I am like a Texan Eeyore. And boy, do I feel like an ass. I let my campaign advisor make my slogan, Jeb! Reminding you, you were the one coworker who emails exclamation points so frequently that they've lost all meaning. And as the internet wore on, my campaign went from Jeb to Jeb to Jeb. My leading competitors were a penis-measuring robot, a neurosurgeon who thinks the pyramids were built by a Bible character to store brain, the Zodiac Killer, and an escaped Oompa Loompa on a quest for vengeance, hell-bent on destroying the entire country along with the chocolate factory. Did you think you'd live to see the day the most reasonable candidate was a member of the goddamn Bush family? The only thing that set me apart from my opponents this June was that I thought South Carolina should take down its Confederate flag. And I'm the one who lost. But I will have you know, my poll numbers almost pushed past 4%. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. By this point in the debate, I've typically been interrupted by a man-child who doesn't hesitate to spew vitriol at people of color, women, and the freaking Pope, but refuses to disavow the Ku Klux Klan. Now, people wonder why I lost, and I'll tell you why. It's because I'm so dull and so sad that you're reluctant to even pity me. Now, in my pocket, along with my little baby Jesus and rosary beads, I carried around little turtles and distributed them to children, saying, slow and steady wins the race. It would seem I didn't realize that wasn't the real moral of the story, that the moral is actually arrogance will destroy you, only the hare running against me won't ever stop to take a nap because he's fueled by the racist rage of thousands of uncles you don't want to talk to at Thanksgiving. But wouldn't it be sadder if I told you the irony wasn't lost on me? As evidence of the beautiful banality of my existence, look no further than the cries for help on my Twitter account. The Twitter account of a dad who just made a Twitter account and just doesn't know how lame he looks. Now what kind of man with a shred of self-respect tweets, show your hashtag all in for Jeb, shop koozies, hoodies, crewnecks, and more, doesn't that make you physically cringe with how pathetic it is? A photo of my campaign bus said, Safer, Stronger, Freer America. I had to make up a word that happened to rhyme with what Donald Trump called me. A man who said he'd have sexual relations with his own daughter bullied me around to the point where I just had to fight fire with fire. So I tried to get on the elevator to that Trump Tower saying that war against radical Islam is the war of our time, or... My leadership will start holding the government and employees accountable, especially when it comes to providing care for our veterans, despite being from the party of radical Christian extremism that does nothing but cut down veteran benefits. <laughs> I made pandering posts about visiting a children's basketball game where I looked indistinguishable from all the other sad dads. <laughs> the most provocative thing I ever posted was a picture of a gun with Gov Jeb Bush engraved on it with the caption, America. Which, now that I think about it, was more or less the same kind of picture that undid Anthony Weiner. <laughs> and in perhaps the saddest act, I asked my brother George to campaign for me. This is what I get. I literally once had to explain to my brother that SpongeBob isn't real, and this is what I get. Sadder still, I was the governor of Florida. 
Florida. The land of tacky tourism, alligators, racist retirees, and stand-your-ground laws where dreams and justice go to die. My dreams have certainly died. To make this all the saddest, I'm only here because I have suspended my sad campaign. To end my pain and end my campaign, I took off my glasses and my resignation speech because I no longer wanted to look like that one guy in HR whose name you always forget, or a somehow even more doleful Hank Hill. My life is so sad that I have to come here and debate how sad it is. Oh, please give me your vote. Then I can get back in the business of making a more peaceful world. They're kicking me out the door. West, right? The name itself just sparks awe and respect <laughs> to everyone across this great nation. Am I right or am I right? I know I'm right. <laughs> I mean, he's responsible for our dark, twisted fantasies, our college dropouts. He's our Yeezus. Sing our praises on high. Amen forever. <laughs> but Yeezy demonstrated a worrisome downfall this month. <laughs> That while some might say it was publicity for his, his album, Life of Pablo, I know for certain was not, and it was absolutely a cry for help, as I'm going to demonstrate to y'all, but it is definitely most evident, and I want you all to know that I'm leading up to it, in this weekend's praise of the film Zoolander 2. <laughs> he called it high art. That's real. All right? So let me just break it down for you guys real quickly. Here's some evidence. And there's a whole bundle of evidence. This was a joy of research. <laughs> right off the bat, changing the name of his album, the week it was coming out, several times. Like, wh what was going on there? You know what I mean? Like, if you're really going to publicize your album, we got to know what it's called. You know, that's, that's like PR number one. And that's also how you know that he controls his own Twitter. Like, he does not have a... He does not have a social media guy. It's all him. We know it's him. I bet he has an assistant that's like, can I do this? And he's like, hell no. I've got this. Yay forever. <laughs> but furthermore, he claimed that he didn't like butt stuff, even though he's married to the most famous ass of our generation. Like, come on, yay. Like, we know that's not real. <laughs> you didn't marry Kim Kardashian for her personality. <laughs> He straight up asked Mark Zuckerberg for money. Just like, he straight up asked him for money and said, call me by 2 p.m. <laughs> Two things. Didn't know that was an option that all of us had. Didn't know we could be like, yo, Mark! <laughs> I gotta make rent. Didn't know we could do that. Now I do. Also, it kind of made it seem like they have each other's phone numbers, <laughs> which makes me think that Mark Zuckerberg, like, like Kanye is the friend that when he calls, he's like, ugh, it's Kanye. Yeah, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, he, like, really reluctantly answers the phone. <laughs> when he said Bill Cosby innocent, right? Like, that was maybe, like, the most worrisome thing at all. And we'll get to that in a moment, all right? I want to come back to that one. But absolutely the most unsettling thing of all this behavior was this weekend when he saw Zoolander 2 twice. <laughs> he saw it twice. <laughs> we'll get to it. All right, so let's start by unpacking Bill Cosby innocent. All right, his tweet on February 9th, okay? 
So this felt like he was swatting out into the void. Kanye's been silent for a while. Remember, he was taking a break off of social media. I don't know if you follow your Jesus, but I do. He took a break off of social media because he was, he was getting too much flack, right? So he comes back full force by saying, Bill Cosby innocent, in all capitals. In all capitals, swatting into the void there, all right? Do you think he believes that? I don't think he knows who Bill Cosby is anymore. Like, that's where I'm standing, you know what I mean? Uh, the album fiasco as well was pretty well documented, but I want to take it to a different tweet that happened only days after Life of Pablo, his album was released, which also like, what is that title? <laughs> like of all your, of all the cool shit you were putting down, like what does that even mean? It's like a, it's, it sounds like a like Mexican novel that was written in like 1800. Like why we do this? He tweeted days later. My next album is titled TurboGrafx16, dot, 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 as of now, dot, dot, dot. That's absolute insanity, you guys. That's the name of, like, an Angel Fire website. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not catchy. How does he already know the name of his next album? Took him forever to decide Life of Pablo. Unless you're like, oh, he's playing mind games with us. No, he's not, you guys. He tweeted, I'm going to sell coats in winter this month. What the fuck? Why did you write that? <laughs> Unacceptable. So I could go on and talk about how he tweeted, I own your child to Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> In a moment where he just forgot how parenting works. <laughs> you don't call dibs on children that like are of your ex-girlfriend. That doesn't work. <laughs> That's like what he was doing there. Someone reacted. That's what happened. <laughs> He also on Grammy night, I mean, he tweeted a slew of things on Grammy night, but my favorite is, us real guys want to have music fun too. <laughs> That's a real word-for-word -word quote. Us music guys want to have fun too. <laughs> like, did he feel left out this year? Like, what's going on there, Kanye? Us real guys. All right. It's adorable. Um, on February 25th, 24th, he tweeted this thing, which I'm still confused about. Maybe you guys can help me. There are some lame fake accounts trying to make Kanye-isms that are not Mark Twain level. <laughs> I could be wrong, but Kanye's never released a sardonic, witty novel, like, ever. That's never happened. Again, I think that maybe he forgot who Mark Twain was. <laughs> so he's reaching out into the void. All right, so... So let's go to the debate side of this, right? Which I'm probably going to be asked about. So one could argue that he is, I know what's coming. Um, sorry, I'm a troll. Um, one could argue that he is like totally aware of what he's doing. That's, that's a criticism that's totally valid. That this publicity is just for the album that came out. But I just think there's like so much evidence that says it's not true. For example, Us Weekly has reported, I know, they're like basically HuffPo. Um, that Kim Kardashian is actually not pleased with all this Twitter behavior and that it's rumored that she's asked him to seek um, therapy which I feel like has to be true and like it has to be really really bad because I feel like even asking him to do dishes is daunting like asking him to see a therapist has got to like, take a lot of courage Kim K go you girl and like I, I feel like um also, okay, here's another thing, you guys. He also tweeted, I'm not a rapper, like, at one point. Which, to me, proves that he's in no way promoting himself. Like, you, he, he has a rap album out. And you wouldn't buy a rap album from someone that's like, not a rapper, guys. <laughs> it's a mystery what this album is. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't get medicine from a doctor that's like, this is going to cure your sickness. 
BP Dub's not a doctor. <laughs> Throw caution to the wind. Uh, that wouldn't happen. You're insane. So all of this is not publicity. This is a full-on mental breakdown. Like absolutely, 100%. No further proof is needed than the Zoolander 2 tweets. <laughs> On February 27th, Kanye West tweeted the following in this order. I saw Zoolander 2 for the second time. That's one. <laughs> Here comes the Will Ferrell ones. Will Ferrell has reached walking, living, breathing God status. His existence is a blessing. That tweet is about Will Ferrell. Oh my God. Next, perhaps, so he, he kind of explains himself in this one. Perhaps it was seeing him play a character he played 15 years ago with 15 years more experience that show how sharp and Bruce Lee status he is. <laughs> Bruce Lee status! <laughs> Will Ferrell we're talking about! The cowbell guy, okay? <laughs> it's insane. Uh, then this one, we, this one's good. We all know Will Ferrell has always been the one! Multiple <laughs> explanation points. Like, he's, he's in, like, Matrix level right now. Like, like Will Ferrell's a Christ figure right now, okay? But then he goes on to talk a little bit more about the movie. And let's shout out to the art direction, dot, 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 candy on the screens! What's going on in Zoolander 2? High art. That sounds like a Katy Perry video. That doesn't sound like... Okay. Then he wrote, it's, he wrote it's, so, it's so inspiring. Thank you for existing, Zoolander 2. So you can't read those tweets, I don't think, um, in sequence and not believe that Kanye is having a full-on celebrity meltdown. Like, absolutely, this is Britney Spears shaving her head level to me. I would even go so far as to say that if any of my friends tweeted this kind of bullshit, I would immediately tweet back, you okay? Like, absolutely. I'd absolutely cut in. And I think, in conclusion of my opening statements, which I have so far given, it is troubling behavior and it's far more troubling than Jeb Bush trying to be president. Very interesting interpretations of three minutes. <laughs> now we reach the question and answer portion of our debate. I'm going to ask our candidates, our debatants, some questions. Any answer? Uh, Ian, why did you not tell me that you were going to be in character, thereby invalidating all the questions I wrote in advance, which assumed that you were not going to be in character? <laughs> no, baby, Jeb Bush is all about the unexpected. <laughs> instance, uh, my brother called me before this debate, and he just wanted to, to clear the air. You see, Mr. West had accused my brother of not caring about black people after Hurricane Katrina, and he wants to go on record saying that he loves snakes on a plane. <laughs> Let it be noted that one of Mr. West's best tracks, Jesus Walks, would not have been possible without my brother's oopsie-daisy wharf. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, Jeb Bush released one tweet, yeah. a picture of the gun that said America on it. Basically a suicide note slash dick pic, the subtext of which could fill an entire novel. 
coming to you. <laughs> Kanye's got a whole bunch of tweets, yes. But what one tweet can match the insanity of that gun tweet? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think it, I, I really do think it is um, when he called Will Ferrell <laughs> a blessing. Like, I think it's either that or when he blamed Drake for, for the whole album not coming out. Like, one of those, one of those reasons. We all know Drake's too nice for that. Come on. Ian, or rather, Jeb. Not, he, he's not. <laughs> he's not really Jeff. He's lying to all of you. As are all my opponents. <laughs> anyway, so that gun pick I talked about clearly that made it through at least one social media intern. What was the message you were trying to say with that, and why did it end up being suicide is imminent? <laughs> Suicide is in the <laughs> Can I call you, Tom? I don't know if it's Mr. Harrison. That's okay. Thank you, Tom. I'll, I'll put an explanation point. Tom! <laughs> now, America has always been about two things. It's been about freedom and about reckless endangerment of people's lives. <laughs> and that's what that gun pick was all about. Thank you. <laughs> Stephanie. Yeah. So Kanye, we all agree, out of his, out of his fucking mind. Yeah. Uh, some might say, I, I don't know who, uh, that his tweets are so hilarious yeah. that they're a bad cry for help because no one's gonna want to make them stop. <laughs> How would you respond? Well. <laughs> Mental illness isn't really taken seriously in this country. Um, so, like, his mental breakdown is so LOL, and I totally get it. <laughs> uh, so that's why that's why stars do things like shave their heads and, like, do a lot of drugs. Like, they have to hit, like, the most terrible point in their lives in order to be taken seriously. And I know this is, like, a serious moment and a funny show, but I think he does need help. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, one more question for closing statements. I want you both... Give me your answer. Say that both Kanye and Jeb get the help they were calling out for. They get sent to a secluded island spa to relax. Uh, When they inevitably meet and obviously become best buds immediately, (laughs) what radical island hijinks would your person first recommend that you both do? Whoever wants. Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a take a shot in the dark here based on um, stories I've heard about Kanye in the past and say that the album or the hijinks that he wants to do with his buddy Jed is um, probably make Jed like say a bunch of speeches that he would have given if he were president. <laughs> and then like if someone comes by and is like, "What's going on here?" He'd be like, "My boy Jed giving his speeches." And that's what I would have to concur that they'd be best buds because the press has really, really taken to both of them because lions go for the weakest wildebeest of the pack. <laughs> for instance, The Onion alone wrote uh, headlines about me, and I quote, 
Jeb Bush assures pipe-wheeling thugs he'll have the delegates he promised them by next week. Demoralized Jeb Bush succumbs to New Hampshire heroin epidemic and terrified Jeb Bush beginning to fade from visible spectrum. <laughs> so I would say that, that he and Mr. West would, would reconcile their differences because Jeb, all I ever wanted was for someone to say that I was the greatest of all time, of all time. Because no one's ever said that, never will. Yay, always be killing it. But is he killing his downward spiral? <laughs> Absolutely. It's fun to joke about Kanye because he's always been an extreme character. He's always been fun. True story, I saw him live three years ago for the Yeezus tour, and he did a 20-minute freestyle song about how it was wrong that we let Michael Jordan play for the Wizards. <laughs> it felt like he just remembered it happening. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently this exists somewhere, like the videos exist, you can find it. But the guy's like notoriously hilarious, right? And I have to imagine, but, but, I, but I also have to imagine that most homeless people that you see walking around talking to themselves were once like the crazy guy at the party. You know, I think that he's on this path, but he's just super famous. And Jeb is just a sad, rich, white guy who wants to pretend to play president like his papa. <laughs> He's just fighting for attention from his family on a public level, and he'll be fine because he's always been fine. But Kanye, he has a different background. He has a different life. He's legit going crazy, okay? My closing statements can best be described in the words of Jesus himself when he tweeted, and this is in all caps, by the way, I'm so hype right now. Everything has changed. Have y'all ever seen Tron, the end of the Tron, where everything was... <laughs> Um, now, I, I, I don't typically get the chance to rebut anyone's arguments. <laughs> but Mr. West reminds me of my Republican opponents in that he either curates his inflammatory comments to cater to and draw in an audience, or he's completely fucking insane. <laughs> so, yes, Mr. West's public meltdown was enigmatic and embarrassing, but when a man with a colony of chinchillas imprisoned upon his head stole your domain name, just like your family stole any chance of you being president, you're playing embarrassing. <laughs> Mr. West may or may not have the self-awareness to realize just how sad he is, but it's abundantly clear that I realize how sad I am. <laughs> and isn't that the saddest? <laughs> Mr. West is an enigma. He tweets a mile a minute. He calls his own Kanyeisms, as my opponent has stated, Mark Twain level. There are more moments of madness on his Twitter just this week than I have time to recount, let alone all of February. He begged Zuckerberg, the inventor of Facebook, on Twitter for $53 million. <laughs> well, I was rolling in money, a sad sack with a super pack, and I had over $150 million in my campaign, and it all went to no use. And hell, $53 million is a fraction of what I would raise the national debt by with my economic policies. So 
Mr. West can easily make that back with his wife's empire or his own fire beats. He cryptically tweeted, I'ma fix wolves. Well, I'ma fix my knees after my sad sack super pack comes a-calling for all that money. <laughs> Perhaps the biggest sign of Mr. West's mental instability came a few days ago where, I agree with you completely, Will Ferrell has reached walking, living, breathing God status. Will Ferrell is the me of comedy. <laughs> all of these tweets show a certain charismatic crazy that I lack entirely and makes me even more sad. Now, as I've stated, Mr. West is either a perfectly calculating mastermind playing off his manufactured public persona, or he's a mentally unstable musical genius who we love to watch pouring gray goose on his own tire fire. <laughs> Whatever the case, the more he tweets, the more attention he gets, the more powerful he becomes. He's like a Donald Trump who's worth something to humanity. On the other hand, the more I tweet, the less attention I get, the sadder I become. <laughs> the thing about Kanye and I is that we simply don't compare. Mr. West is a fashion icon on the cover of GQ and designing his own clothing line. My greatest fashion moment came from lugubriously squeezing a hoodie over my head. <laughs> it was a moment so wide, it should have been nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Kanye West is a star in the middle of a supernova. And I am a star that would appear in Sharknado 5. <laughs> he is a beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy, and I am some old rich white guy. Mr. West may have had the greatest Twitter meltdown of all time, but what's even sadder is that my own was eclipsed. And doesn't that make it the sadder Twitter cry for help? Isn't it much sadder not to burn out, but to fade away? The more Mr. West freaks out, the more notoriety he receives. The more I cry for help, the further into quicksand I sink. Down, 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 down. the abyss of apathy. Unwanted, unloved. I couldn't win the party from Hell's nomination. Hell, I couldn't even win my own mother's affection. She said on camera, there had been enough bushes, and when I asked if she'd finally call me her favorite son, she said no. But I can win this. At least let me win this. Please, let me win this. I have to win! Please clap. Now comes the time when you, the audience, having seen all of that, are going to decide the winner. You might be thinking, Tom, what does the winner get? Uh, for the first couple shows, uh, you'd be like, oh, you're the winner. Leave. <laughs> Not anymore. Now I have this glorious prize. It's the divine skewer of eternal excellence that pierces the heavens at all times, even unto this very moment. It is a wonderful trophy that anyone would be delighted to have. So what's going to happen is, uh, Eric, you're going to be our impartial judge to determine who gets the louder applause. I'm going to ask you to applaud for each person who's out there the winner. If you do not think a person is the winner, you do not not clap. You clap softer, because not clapping is mean. <laughs> so, if you believe Ian Rigg was the winner of this debate, applaud now. you believe Stephanie Weber was the winner in this debate, please clap now.
fries. Jeff! <laughs> Okay, before I do my little end thing, I just want to say that the Skewer is a monthly show. We are here every first Wednesday of the month. Uh, it's co-produced with Eric right there. He's going to be hosting next month, as is our way. Um, we also are recording this, as you may have seen, there's a microphone. And we're going to release it as the Skewer podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes or wherever. Give us a review, maybe. We'd like it. You know, you don't have to. Anyway. Oh, man. February. The shortest month of the year, but no shortage of news foretelling the demise of society. <laughs> so glad our op-ed writers chose to cover basically none of it, <laughs> leaving me to clean it up. Probably the most important news story of the month was the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, the High Court's most outspoken opponent of gay rights. Now, we don't joke about death here, and how could we, really? It was just a tragedy the way he died in a meeting of his secret hunting society, a place where men can be men <laughs> with other men <laughs> alone, <laughs> away from anyone else, away from your wife. <laughs> strong, strong men with a big heart, guns. <laughs> men understand you. No one understands you like other men do. <laughs> It's natural to go meet with them alone, see, secretly, again and again, growing close, closer, here, close, closer than anyone. Anyway, yeah, I can't think of any ways to joke about that, so we're just going to move on. And as a performer, you have to make sure that when you say ridiculous things in order to ridicule them, uh, you have to make sure it's very clear you do not endorse those ideas. I made sure of that. Uh, last month where I did a bit where I said shit in the voice of Fox News. That was a step that the governor of Maine, Paul LePage, should have considered when he claimed an epidemic of drug dealers named Smoothie <laughs> were coming to his state to sell heroin and impregnate white women. Now, of course, he didn't mean that in the racist way. So this February, he came and had to uh, give a statement clarifying that, yes, he was not being racist. Oops, sorry, remembered that wrong. He actually clarified that, yes, he was talking specifically about black people when he mentioned smoothie. <laughs> to be fair, though, when I think about smoothies, the first thing I think of is gang culture. <laughs> you never see a banger these days that a couple boxes of almond milk under his arm. Always going like, yo, where's the kale? always going on juice cleanses, no doubt to become more efficient killers. <laughs> the fact that Paul LePage was in the news again this month for uh, endorsing Donald Trump really just makes the whole affair sickeningly unsurprising. Despite it all, though, this February has been a black history month for the ages, probably best summarized uh, by Beyonce's single formation and subsequent Super Bowl performance. <laughs> The song and its video were unapologetically steeped in black culture and images, leaving white people no choice but to stand aside and cede the cultural spotlight for once. Ha ha! I am kidding, of course. <laughs> that 
that didn't happen. Instead, it ignited a feeding frenzy of white people competing for the most attention by running the most think piece of the most woke think piece of all about how great it was that white people weren't the center of attention for once, but also please make my think piece the center of attention. <laughs> Beyonce's Super Bowl performance also saw white people demanding to dominate the narrative again by condemning her use of Black Panther imagery, saying that the group is basically the same as the KKK. Except that, you know, the KKK's signature moves are to dress as spooky ghosts, murder, like, a lot of people, and endorse Donald Trump, which you'll note, none of those things the Black Panthers did. I also really love that this whole fracas hinges on the KKK being universally acceptable, a uh, universally accepted cultural shorthand for a really bad group. And yet, when the KKK endorses Trump, those same people are like, well, actually, this is fine. <laughs> also, 20% of us wish slavery hadn't ended. That's true. Oh, and if you're thinking, but Tom, aren't you? By co-opting these issues right now, needlessly making yourself the center of attention, just as you accused others of being, uh, then, haha, yes, attention is amazing! <laughs> also, this month, the governor, the governor of Mississippi officially named April as the state's Confederate History Month, which I can only assume will be a sobering look at the failed nation that used virulent racism and systematic denial of human, basic human rights as the foundation of its existence, uh, a month that uses the lessons of history to, to illuminate how the South's rigid, demented lust for race hate nearly ruined it forever and cost thousands of lives. <laughs> I mean, what else could Confederate history mean? <laughs> Oops, sorry, I forgot. The governor of Mississippi said that the fact that they don't talk about slavery in Confederate History Month, quote, doesn't matter for diddly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what really happened. But, you know, enough sad news. No month is entirely bad. Uh, we hilariously learned that Hitler had a tiny, deformed dick. <laughs> a piece of news that seems almost too bad an explanation, but I'll take it. <laughs> Steve Martin performed stand-up for the first time in over 30 years. And probably most exciting for me, Brian Fuller was named showrunner of the new Star Trek TV series. Now, if you don't know who Brian Fuller is, uh, he created and ran the excellent but little-watched and quickly-canceled Pushing Daisies, uh, the, the excellent but little-watched and quickly-canceled Wonderfalls, uh, the excellent but little-watched and quickly-canceled Hannibal... Oh, Jesus, actually doesn't seem that great anymore. Especially since the new Star Trek will be aired exclusively online on CBS's crappy fake Netflix. It's basically CBS saying to Fuller, Hey, buddy, yo, we got that little watched and quickly canceled. I'll take care of it for you. You don't need to worry about that. <laughs> but as a Star Trek fan, I guess you take what you can get. So, you know, not that bad a month. Oh, except that there's still a town with poison water, and no one has done anything about it, and no one's been punished, and instead the state banned butt stuff, and Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee for president. Time to ride society's bloated corpse like a jet ski into Valhalla. Thank you, everyone. Anyway, so that's their show. Yeah. I, yeah. As, as I said, you should uh, listen to your podcast. Yeah. And also uh, come back 
next month, months in any month yeah. in the future. Yeah. What yeah. else did they do? Uh, yeah, so next month, uh, first Wednesday of the month back here, 8 p.m., Cafe Mustache. Uh, oh, yes, if you haven't already and if you feel the need, please uh, donate uh, some money so the writers can get paid. Um, we like doing that a lot. Um, so that's that's all that I have. Yeah, also, I mean, tell people about the skewer. And also, we and Eric do a podcast <coughs> called You Don't Understand. You can ask us about that later. It's good. Carl was on it. Yeah. Chris Reif was on it. I think Stephanie Stephanie's going to be on it in yeah. like a month and a half. Yeah. But it was recorded. Anyway, thank you. That's all thank we you. got. Thanks for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you'd like to come to see a live show, we're here every first Wednesday of the month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. You can subscribe to the Skewer Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And hey, you know, why not leave us a review while you're there? A couple of five, like a five star. We work hard. We put on a good show. We deserve it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a line at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again for listening, and see you next month.